Today, as we continue um, our new series, it won't be new next week, I guess, we've done it four weeks, um, in the book of Philippians, and we're still in chapter one, uh, and we, we have learned, again, the last few weeks how this idea of gospel partnership, as Paul says, is actually advancing, we're going to learn this word, it's the same translation, or progressing in us as individuals and as the church to advance the gospel. And so in this gospel partnership, now we've talked about this joint partnership, this thing that we hold together that we can, through God, actually be used to advance the gospel, to progress the gospel in ourselves and in others for God's glory. And so Redeemer family, as we just sang, praise the Lord, like rejoice, like we're actually doing it. And so we are advancing the gospel here in Irving, and a lot of times we think it's bigger and better and flashier and, and, and it's just it's the the how we do that is loving each other that's what jesus said the world is going to know right this gospel by how we love one one another and so doing uh the little things consistently for a long time is what the the life and the, the kind of the marking of a christian is and so not that uh big is always bad or anything but consistent gospel living is something that continues slow and consistent, and so um, in that, man, just, just praise God, like we are a family, and we are actually advancing the gospel here in Irving and in other nations, and so um, again, because of y'all's faithful gospel partnership, because of what y'all have done, and what um, our, us as a church have done together through the power of Christ, and so remember again from the last two weeks that we define this gospel partnership, this thing that we're trying to learn and live out, um, and we're, we're saying the true partnership in the church is an active partnership. Remember that word means koinonia. It means fellowship, community. Anytime you see a church translated, they're getting at this biblical idea we see from Acts 2 that's koinonia. So true partnership in the, in the church is an active partnership in the gospel. It's a close relationship of mutual benefit, promoting the gospel through co- um, cooperation, sympathy, Suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. And so, again, thank you for partnering in the gospel. I love you deeply, and I know we love each other deeply as a church. But the truth is, y'all, brothers and sisters, that that we, again, are called to rejoice in the Lord, like we just sang, always. And we're called always to be advancing this gospel, but life can get in the way, right? Any amens there? there? There is suffering and hard times in this journey for us as true children of God. And the Bible, specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're not going to be there, but I think the Ecclesiastes sets the tone for what Paul is talking about today in our text. But specifically in, in the book of Ecclesiastes is this whole book that brings up this philosophical idea that life is meaningless. That life is pointless or vain. Good morning. <laughs> Happy Sunday. So the, uh, that's from the Bible, okay? The, the literal Hebrew says that life is a breath of breaths, meaning that life is here today and gone tomorrow. And the book of Ecclesiastes is, remember, was written by King Solomon, who Jesus says was the, the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. 
The Bible says he tested everything, meaning he had access to every sin and every temptation and even the, the, the good things of God's creation. Solomon was, was known as a lover, a, a musician, a songwriter, a poet, a botanist, a scientist, and he was a leader and a king. But Solomon concludes at the end of his life that life is meaningless. He says that life is pointless. He says it's a breath of breath or a vanity of vanities that is often translated. And so with uh, that idea in mind, the book of Ecclesiastes concludes with these last verses saying this. The end of the matter. All has been heard. He says the, the point of everything is to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Remember the Bible's telling a consistent story. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon was saying that our purpose is to fear God. Again, that's two sides of the same coin of what it means to love God, to keep his commandments. The same thing Jesus says. Remember the greatest commandment that Jesus declares? What does he say? They're trying to trick him. And he quotes the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And he says, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God. He's quoting, uh, um, quoting Deuteronomy 6. Known as the Shema. Listen, the Lord of God, the Lord, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, again, this in the Hebrew culture, the, the, the word fear God, what Solomon uses, is the same idea for love of God. But the fear part, it's like two sides of the same coin, is focusing on the aspect of respect, of honor, and obedience to God, uh, that to a God that one loves. And so that's where those ideas are connected. And so the fear of God or the love of God go together. You can't separate them. And so in our text today, we're going to be in Philippians 1, 18 through 26. Please turn there or turn on your device. We're going to see the same tension of the vanity of life. And Paul is going to talk about it. Again, our text today in Philippians 1, uh, 18 through 26 hinges deeply on the idea of biblical gospel partnership that Paul talked, talks about earlier in this letter. And we will worship and learn that Paul rejoices by encouraging the church to understand and live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that this idea will actually benefit the church and advance the gospel. And so said shortly, Paul encourages the church to have a to live is Christ heart. And so we'll talk more about this as we dig into our text. So let's read uh, Philippians 1, 18 through 26. If you would, again, Philippians 1, uh, 18 through 26. I'm somehow in the book of John. Uh, it's not where we're going to be. Give me one second. General Electric Power Company. That's how I remember Galatians. Colossi. I, mean, I don't even say the right order. I just general, general, what is it? General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, uh, yeah, Philippians, and then Colossians. All right, so that's a little trick someone told me that I should have used earlier. Um, all right, we are here now. Philippians 1, um, 20, I mean, 1, 18 through 26. And listen to the words of Paul. So we're going to start with a little bit of the context from last week to help understand what he's saying. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. yes. And I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, that I will not at all, I'm sorry, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. And so in our text today, Philippians 1, 18 through 26, we'll see uh, that it teaches us that Paul rejoices by encouraging the church to understand and to live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain, that that idea will actually benefit the church and advance the gospel. Again, said shortly, Paul encourages the church to have a to live is Christ heart. Touching my mind too, because in America we can disconnect the mind and the heart, but I think they go together. So a to live is Christ heart. And so um, the book of Philippians, again, was written by Paul, right, who was known as this super apostle, this man who changed, um, in a way, Christianity. He was known as the apostle to the nations, the Gentiles, the same idea. And, and, and this Paul was known as a church planner or a missionary. Paul was known as this hero, this guy who says, mimic me, imitate me, because I mimic or imitate Christ. Paul, again, was this guy who was persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus to do evil. And God woke him up and saved him and led him and set him free to know this true gospel and to become this apostle to the nations who says, I'm the worst dude that's ever lived, is what Paul says. He says, I'm the worst sinner. But God still used him. And Paul's letter to the churches in Philippi now provides this wonderful, wonderful example of gospel partnership. Within the church, the Philippians had shared in Paul's proclamation of the gospel. They sympathized with his suffering to support the cause of Christ. They worked together to be a distinct people on display in their city and prayed for Paul and the progress or the advancement of the gospel, all as an overflow of love born in them by the Holy Spirit. And so in the book of Philippians, we have Paul at the end of his ministry and life alone in a Roman jail. And Paul is so encouraging and hopeful in his letter from jail. It doesn't make sense. And what we talk about today might not even make sense in the way he's saying it philosophically. But the Bible is clear, and I hope that it will make sense to you. Paul expresses in um, the book of Philippians these big themes of partnership, encouragement, and change in people. And so we're going to look really at this, all these three ideas hitting today. In a statement that helps capture and summarize the whole book, the main idea of the book is that Paul encourages gospel partnership. We can't forget that when we're talking about Philippians. In the church that will, again, advance the gospel as it changes people. We have to be changed individually. And then it has to expand to all nations. And so, again, our text today really focuses on this main theme of gospel encouragement. So I want to hear that. He's going to say something that philosophically might not make sense to you. But he's actually saying it as an encouragement 
that comes from this gospel partnership that we see as Paul, again, is rejoicing by encouraging the church to understand and live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that that idea will actually benefit the church and advance the gospel. So let's look closely at our text today. Look at Philippians uh, 18. Again, this is summarizing some of what uh, Paul was finishing in his previous thought. And he says, what then? Only that in every way, verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And so Paul is rejoicing in that whether people preach the gospel with good or bad motives, remember from last week, that the gospel, he says, it, it, it still is advancing. He says, let's rejoice. As we, as, and, and he's going to repeat this thought of rejoicing throughout the whole book. And in the next few words of our text, he says it again, which is usually known as this part B of sometimes the Bible. Remember, the Bible didn't have verses and um, all this stuff to break it up. We kind of put that in there, and it helps us see it better. The Greek was actually ran together, and so did the Hebrew. Um, so we put those to help. So I think the, I added that part to help us see that this next part is kind of the continued thought. He says, hey, whatever happens, Christ is preached. And I'm going to rejoice in that. And then we see this part B of the text, which um, really connects and continues the main idea today. Again, that to live is Christ. Because saying to live is Christ is actually a statement of rejoicing. And so Paul rejoices. And, and he must be understanding obediently and living dependent on God by the Spirit so deeply that he can sense his dependence on the Spirit. As he is actually, again, in jail, suffering, but is still able to gospel himself and to, to rejoice. And so think with me for a second. The English meaning of the word. Now, the, the Greek meaning has this idea, again, just connected to joy. Um, but, but this idea of the English word rejoice comes from this idea of re, right? Meaning to do this again. And so the idea of joy isn't just to do it once, but to rejoice, to rejoy. To remember or find joy again. And there is this deep understanding that joy doesn't come from circumstances. But rather from loving the God who has put you in those circumstances. And that may be hard sometimes. But look at the end of verse 18 and then the verse 19 with me together. And again, as Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. He emphasizes that again. He says, for I know that through your prayers, he's talking to the Philippian church. And the help of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation. And so Paul rejoices as he is confident he will be delivered in Jesus in life or in death through prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19 we see. So he starts the letter reminding the Philippian church that he is committed to pray for them and that he confidently expects them to be praying back. Y'all, prayer is real and the Lord answers his children according to his will. And Paul also knows that he deeply needs what? Help from the Holy Spirit. Help is meaning support, provision from the Holy Spirit of God. And you see, to, to proclaim what Paul is about to proclaim, to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, you must be abiding in Jesus, meaning that you're depending on the Holy Spirit so deeply to provide or support or help you in every possible way, especially 
Paul's going to connect it to boldness to believe such a crazy seeming statement, right? So again, Paul rejoices that he is confident that he will be delivered. And some people think this is talking about salvation. Um, I think it's clear that Paul here is, um, he, we can see as he ends that he's talking about his physical life, but there is, in a sense, this connection that he's saying, hey, either way, I'm going to be delivered physically. He thinks he is, but he says, even if, <laughs> and even if I die, I'm already delivered in, 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 in salvation. The God's already got me. So there's kind of this dual, dual idea here that he's saying. And look at with me in verse 20. And Paul continues saying, as it is my eager expectation, so this is where we get that, that he thinks he's going to, you know, um, be saved. It's my eager, eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what he's saying. If I die, if I live, he saved me, and if he saves me physically, Paul was good. Paul is encouraging himself in the gospel. We need to do that to ourselves. <laughs> yes, we need each other, but we also need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And Paul has this expectation. He has this hope that he will not be ashamed in his life or his death. You see, Paul had been through so much junk. And I'm sure he was struggling with the temptation of feeling abandoned. Like he wasted his life as he sits alone in this Roman jail cell. And the Bible tells us that Paul had a, a thorn in his side. And we don't really know what it is exactly, but most people think that it's some kind of physical ailment that he had. And this physical suffering. So Paul was more likely suffering physically and mentally, but he still rejoices. And so look at what he hopes and expects. Through all this mental and physical anguish and pain that God would actually, he had this encouragement that God would actually put courage into him, that God would actually encourage him as he knows that he will be glorified with Christ whether he lives or dies. Now, now, now look at Paul's father, fatherly heart here. We see that Paul encourages the church now to understand this idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I, I doubt he said, like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I, I feel like he said it with some passion. And there was this philosophical idea and deep things going on in his mind when he's saying everything, all the pain, all the suffering. And he's rejoicing and he's crying out for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what a powerful gospel statement. What a beautiful gospel statement. This statement, again, has, has, has summarized for me personally my life's mission statement. A short little statement that summarizes the whole Bible to me with the idea of what Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes, that everything's pointless. It's kind of what Paul's saying. Paul wants the church to have a to live is Christ heart. And guys, we can have a to live is Christ heart. And so he encourages the church in gospel partnership to understand this phrase deeply, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul did not have mental knowledge only of this statement. It wasn't just something that he said in his head. But he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul understood its implications and the connection to his heart. He knew this was 
the deepest of gospel issues that his life, if to be lived, would be lived for our glorious and great and holy God. And, and for no one or nothing else. Paul knew that he loved God and his and God's gospel, which Paul says is his gospel as well, and our gospel. It was what fueled him to have this deep, fervent passion. It's okay to be passionate about Jesus and to proclaim something that only a child of God could say and understand and proclaim and saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain means that we would live, as we say here at Redeemer, ultimate mission-driven lives of being people in gospel partnership together who are advancing or progressing the gospel and the kingdom of God as we love God and love people and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. That's what we're saying when we say our ultimate mission. You can summarize it in, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This has a little more detail, right? How do I do that? I love God, love people, make disciples of all nations for God's glory. But Paul is even making it quicker. He's summarizing it. That this gospel understanding and obedience, again, should give us a to live as Christ heart. You see, the gospel is this beautiful story. And we must know this gospel and proclaim this gospel story if we are to be people that can claim and proclaim the statement, to live as Christ and to die is gain. We must know the story, the story of God who created and breathed everything and made us in his image and made everything good. And then there is this fall this, that where sin entered the world. God allowed it. He wasn't caught surprised by sin. He allowed it to happen. And, and so sin and death enter the world and cause this chasm between us and God. And there was a sacrifice that, that needed to happen so that we could understand redemption. And that would be Jesus Christ. God wanted us to see our sin and brokenness and need for this Redeemer. Which leads us to the redemption that Jesus came and he redeemed us. That's why we love the word redeemer. That he came and he sacrificed and he appeased the wrath of God. Meaning the anger of God in his death. That Christ took on the anger of God and satisfied that. Took on that covering. What we would say is atonement. For our sins. For all the brokenness that we've done. And again, God wasn't caught surprised by the story. He was the author of the story. And so in his covering for our sin, by his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we see redemption. And now we have a response in redemption. We have the response to repent and believe. Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, turn away from sin. That's what repentance means. It, sin means we've missed the mark. And so we're turning away from sin and Satan's kingdom and turning to Christ in allegiance or belief and turning to the kingdom of God. And if you're God's child, the Bible says no one can pluck you from his hand. You're his. You're secure in him. You don't get resaved, but you do repent and believe for the rest of your life, not just once. That's a fallacy. That's where Satan wants to keep us. Thinking, oh, I, already, I was saved so I don't have to go back and deal with my sin. The opposite is true. Once you know a holy God, you see how much more sin you actually have. Reference Paul, who's a super apostle, right? And he says, I'm the, I'm the most wretched man. I'm the worst man. That's what a true Christian thinks. That's how you walk. Yes, we can judge, but the Bible says, look at yourself first, then judge. There's not, nothing wrong to judge. 
or to see things that are wrong, we look at yourself first. We can call things out. Nobody's saying we can't do that. We're supposed to as Christians. But true salvation is understanding what Christ has done in you and for you and, and what he's doing in you now and how you get this invitation to repent and believe every moment of every day. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. That would, that's what it means. That's what Solomon was saying. That's what it means to fear God or love God, to do this. And so in this process, we are again first initially saved in justification. We're made right. We're made new. And then Christ has called us. Paul's going to talk about maturity or progressing in the faith or, or advancing it's the process of sanctification, of becoming more holy, which leads us to glorification. The Bible speaks of us being saved in the past, being saved presently, and one day this future salvation that culminates is completion when Christ comes back. And so that brings us to the end of the gospel story where we had creation, then the fall, then redemption, then we have new creation where Christ will Renew the whole world. There will be no more tears, no more suffering. We'll have real bodies. We'll be resurrected again. Guys, and Christ will judge evil. We don't, we're not the judge. He's the one who brings judgment. Our job, we have our job. We have our job description. To love God, love people, make disciples of all nations for God's glory. And a lot of times we waste our lives playing judge. And God says, I've got that. Don't worry. I'm the one who brings vengeance. He will usher in righteousness and peace. And we will eternally glorify him and be in his glory. And so knowing and understanding the gospel, again, intellectually, truly by the Holy Spirit, should compel us to live out the phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And friends and family, my encouragement to you is, are, are your actions modeling this gospel proclamation of to live is Christ or to die is gain? Christ is our victor and nothing else. So does your mind love Jesus so much that you would die for him and his gospel? Do you love Christ so much or rather has he loved you in that you will use every ounce of your calling and gifting and everything, even your weakness to abide or to live in Christ so deeply that you can, like Paul, proclaim in the worst of situations or for the best of situations, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a liberating statement. As the book of Hebrews says, do you long for a better heavenly country or do, are you set on this earth? If you're looking at the news and stuff, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust being set on this earth. Things can go down real fast. Do you see the vanity of life without Jesus? Do you see your striving and your effort and all that you have, all that you have built in life? Or even all that you have not built, all the things that you wish you could do or haven't done is actually pointless. If not lived with a, to live as Christ heart. Paul rejoices by encouraging the church to understand and live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that that will actually benefit us as the church and advance the gospel. It, guys, we can have this uh, to live as Christ heart. So to proclaim to live as Christ and to die is again such a sweet gospel summary and reminder. And, and when we have life in Christ, we actually live. That's what he's saying. As our living will actually benefit the church. So look at verses 22 and 24 with me. Paul says, he just said for me to live as Christ to die is gain. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, if I am to have this body, 
what is my point? He says, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? Like Paul is struggling, y'all. He's struggling. He, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed. I'm struggling between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's how a Christian should think. And my encouragement, if you're not there yet, man, there's work to be done. This life is not worth it. He says, my desire is to, this is Paul, by the way, not, not a crazy man. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain, we're going to sing this a little later, this, this word of remaining. Sometimes we're going to skip over that. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. So Paul recognizes that to live as Christ means fruitful labor. He summarizes this labor in verses 25 and 26. But he knows that if he stays, the church will advance and grow or progress in the gospel. As He'll say this in verse 25. Paul also knows the statement to live as Christ is a deep philosophical gospel question that Paul, again, he's wrestling with. This is not Paul being suicidal, but actually uh, hopeful. But like Ecclesiastes, he's questioning, should he, he, and we should question again the purpose of our life if not for Christ. And like the people that we see in Hebrews that say that they're longing for a better country. Because death with Christ is actually better. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus says it. We'll look at some other things. Ecclesiastes is making this whole point about it. And this may seem weird for a person to say, especially for a young person. But guys, it's so true. That's all I can tell you. It's true. And as you get old, if you really know Christ, this rings truer and truer. Nothing in life will satisfy you eternally like Jesus. And we can talk, we'll talk more about and emphasize more on the to, to die is gain next week. But just know that death with Christ is, is so precious and we will be with him in paradise, the Bible says, awaiting for him if he hasn't come back yet to renew the world and to receive our real heavenly bodies. And there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering but rather Christ's glory. Do you see how Paul can say to live as Christ and to die as gain? He means it, and he believes it, and he's actually echoing the words of Christ. This, I think this is forgotten when we talk, like Paul is making something up. He's echoing Ecclesiastes, and he's echoing Jesus. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and we'll sing a song about this too throughout our Philippians series to hopefully get these words in our heart. Jesus said, it says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and Jesus told his disciples, if the, he's, he's alluding to what a Christian would look like. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, this is the line that resonates with what Paul's saying. For whoever would save his life, whoever's trying to find their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, for what will it profit if a man gains the whole world and forfeits or gives away his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus proclaimed a life of self-denial and allegiance or faith or belief to God. Jesus, like Paul, said those who would lose their life will actually find it. That's why Paul can, Paul can say, for me to live is Christ. Again, this, this phrase is very similar philosophically to what Paul is saying. It's the same idea. 
Look at verses 25 and 26, which say, Paul is like, convinced of this, convinced of this to live as Christ. And if I remain, this is benefit for the church, convinced of this. I know that I will, he says it again, remain or stay and continue with you all. Why? For your progress. So that word progress there is the same word that he used in verse 12, if you remember, for advancement or advancing the gospel. So here he says, for your advancement or for your progress, your sanctification, your holiness, you becoming more like Jesus. He says, convinced of this, I'm sure of this, that if I stay, if I will remain and continue with you all, it will be for your progress and joy. Remember rejoicing, he says it again. In faith, in belief, in this gospel life. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's where we get where Paul's like, hey, I, I think God's going to deliver me salvifically. And he's, I think he might actually save me for real. Like get me out of this jail. <laughs> and so y'all, uh, to live is Christ's heart advances the gospel it it are it progresses in us paul was convinced of this that his remaining with the saints would actually not just change him as individuals but would change the world that the gospel because of the saints would advance to other saints and expand to the nations this phrase again progress in verse 25 is the same statement that paul uses in verse 112 for he where he says for to advance the gospel so verse 25 again says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, think of it this way, advancement and joy in the faith. Or your progress and joy in the faith. Same word. We just translate in English, in English a little different. Paul knew that his remaining would bring gospel progress or advancement for the individuals as they grew in the gospel, which would expand to the Philippian church and to other nations. And so, I mean, literally, think about this. We are the fruit of Paul's labor. When he was saying this in that Roman jail, look at the person next to you or look, scan the room, okay? And we are evidence of verse 25's veracity or its truth, right? If you know Christ, that literally, we wouldn't know if, Paul, if God didn't use Paul, they would have just stayed with the Jews. But God used Paul to advance the gospel to the Gentiles. And so literally right in front of you, in the brothers and sisters of Redeemer Church and the guests that we have, if they know Christ, you're seeing the truth of verse 25, that the gospel actually expanded. And so Paul encourages again in verse 26, saying in summary, I will remain with you, church, because my gospel labor will advance the gospel in you and give you your joy so that you can share this joy and glory in Christ. Listen to Paul's gospel encouragement in verse 25 and 6 together now, where he says, convinced of this, of his what? Of his remaining, of this to live as Christ, um, to die is gain heart. He said, convinced of that, I know that I will remain, that I'm going to stay and, that, and continue with you all. For what? For this progress or advancement and joy, this rejoicing in faith or belief. So that in me you may have ample, a lot of cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Again, in our text in Philippians, we see that Paul rejoices by encouraging the church to understand and to live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain will actually benefit the church and advance the gospel. So where is your heart today, friends and family? 
can you confidently say like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you have a to live is Christ heart? Are you rejoicing and truly encouraged church to understand and live out the idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain will actually benefit you as individuals. It will benefit us as a church and it will actually progress or advance the gospel. So friends and family, if this is your first time understanding or hearing the gospel, you can proclaim this statement today for the first time. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you need to talk about that after church, we would love to talk to you about what it means to know Christ for the first time. To say something which to the world seems ludicrous. And if you are a believer, Satan wants you to think the opposite. To live is not Christ. And so if you are a believer, you can continue to progress, to advance, to grow. And you can actually declare this, guys, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so what is Paul saying? That if you say this, that there is hope, that you can actually impact people, that you were made for a specific purpose, to love God, to love people, to make disciples of all nations. And Christ is calling you in your workplace, at home, with your family, to step into this. And to say, man, if I'm going to live, I'm going to really live. I'm going to stop playing around. And I'm going to live this life that it, it, it just doesn't mean that you're just a, 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 like someone who just has, is just like what we would say, you know, sold out. Or you, people get burned out because they equate this idea with just passion sometimes. Passion is good. I'm a passionate person. But it's not only passion. It's consistency. Right? It's every day waking up when you're struggling like Paul in jail, when the worst of circumstances has come your way, when you get that news, when you hear um, that good thing, you got a raise in the good and the bad and every day. And hopefully with a little passion from the Holy Spirit, right? Remember what Paul says. I think there's something to there of how you love Christ. And so, guys, that's my encouragement. To have this to live is Christ's heart. God wants us to have that. So let's respond now in communion and worship and asking. We're going to sing these words um, to have a to live is Christ's heart. Not just today, but for the rest of our lives. I love you deeply. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, Lord. You are so good. Lord, and you have called us. Lord, to have this, to live is Christ's heart. And so wherever we are, Lord, on the spectrum of understanding this, Lord, just help us. Help us understand, Lord, what it means to cry this out, to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Lord, that you have, let us know that you have a purpose for us, Lord, to be here. Lord, that you will use us to impact Irving and impact the nations. Lord, we love you. We need you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray.